Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask that you will be with us now, Lord, be with me. Um, calm my nerves, Lord. Let this message be uh, what I, you want us to hear, Lord, and may be a message that is a blessing and that it will speak to uh, someone here to touch their heart for you. In your name I pray, amen. amen. So the title of this is Lost Treasure, Lost Treasure. And we'll begin with a story. Does anyone know, turn the clicker on, does anyone know where this is? Any ideas, any guesses? And if you've heard this before, you can't answer it. This is Havana, Cuba. Anyone been to Havana, anyone? Couple of people? All right, so that's where our story begins, but not the Havana of today. This is Havana in 1622. And for months, for almost a year, the Spaniards had been amassing a huge treasure fleet from all of South America. They had been going through all the countries, uh, looting and uh, raiding, and had found lots of treasure. And they were all sending this to the port of Havana to be uh, loaded up onto their fleet to take back to the uh, country of Spain, to the motherland. And they were going to be taking all this treasure. And most of it was, or before we get to it, this is what the treasure consisted of. 582 blocks of copper, 24 tons of silver, 125 bars of gold, and 70 pounds of emeralds. So that's a pretty good treasure, worth a good amount. And pretty much all this was being put onto the ship, the Nuestra, or the Senora, hang on, I'm gonna get this right, the Nuestra Senora de Atosha. I'm looking at my, okay, I said that right. <laughs> all right, and we'll just refer to it as the de Atosha from now on. So most of the treasure was being put on the ship, and it was so much that it took more than two months to load it. Once it got there, they just spent two months getting it onto the ship. Finally, they got it all on there, it, the ship was ready, and there was 27 other ships that were gonna be on this convoy from Cuba to Spain. And so they set sail in 1622, and they hoisted the anchors and went off into the sea. Off into the sea. And that night, the wind picked up, caught the sails, and they drifted out of view over the horizon. The uh, coastline of Cuba disappeared from sight, and the last sailors on those last ships that saw land, little did they know that that was the last time that they would see land. That night and into the next morning, a huge hurricane came out of nowhere. It was massive. And by the next morning, the De Atosha and pretty much all the ships and the treasure lay at the bottom of the sea. There was a couple of ships that survived and made it through the storm. They marked the location on their uh, maps and planned to come back to try to salvage what they could of the treasure. So they uh, went, they left, and they, they did come back, but they could never find the treasure. They looked for it and looked for it, but never could find it. So it lay there for 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, 350 years. 365 years later, the sun rose on a warm day in July of 1985. Now, if you've been coming to South Bay, you know we don't like to tell our whole stories at the beginning. So um, you'll have to wait and hold on till we find out what happens. But turn with me to 1 John 4.16. 1 John 4.16. We're going to go through a few uh, points to... Uh, get to uh, the main topic here at the end. And they're very simple, but I feel like sometimes uh, simple is best to, uh, to share with you some points I've learned in my uh, studies, and I hope that this will be a blessing to you. 
So 1 John 4.16, and it says, We have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Do you have any mathematicians in here? Anyone that loves algebra? I don't see Kwaku in here. He likes math. A few, all right, a few math people. So you guys enjoyed solving for X. You know, when I was in high school, I hated solving for X. I was like, well, I'm never going to do this ever again after I graduate, and I haven't. So, <laughs> but you, I guess you should do it if you're still in high school. I was like, they can go find their own X. But um, so, the, we're going to solve for X. So the people that in here that enjoy math, let's solve for X. So we're going to start off easy. Five equals X. What is X equal? Five. All right, that was easy. All right, a little harder. Ten equals X. What is X equal? X. What is X equal? Two. All right, you're doing good. Good job. Good job. One quintillion equals X. What is X equal? All right. Was that hard? No. Why, why not? They, it's already solved for you. Wouldn't it be nice if high school was like that, if they just gave you the answer? All right, so now let's solve for God. What is God? All right, let's go back. God is love. Now, it doesn't say that God is loving, even though he is. It doesn't say that God is lovely, or even though he is, or that uh, shows love, but it says God is love. That's who God is. You can't break the two. You can't take love and not have God, and you can't take out God and have love. The two describe each other. They are, they are what each other. So God is love. That describes him. That is who he is. So next, let's go to John 1, 1 through 3. Sorry, I started a little, went a little early there. I could still hear your pages turning. So, we've already established that God is love, correct? Everyone agree with that? All right. What does this verse tell us that God is equal to? The word. So, the word equals God, or God equals the word. All right. So, if we have that God equals love and that God equals the word, let's go back to algebra. If two things are equal to the same thing, what does it mean about the, uh, them? They're equal to each other, all right? So, let's go back to the verse we just read. John, <coughs> excuse me, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. So we could switch that around and say, in the beginning was God, or in the beginning was love. So love has always been, because God has always been. So love was in the beginning. Skip down a couple more verses to John 1.3. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So let's do the substitution again. What, is that, what else could that say? All things were made by love. And without love was not anything made that was made. Anyone disagree with that? All right. So God equals love. Name some things that you love. Hmm? Pizza. Me too. Anyone else? Name something you love. Your wife. That's a good one. Anyone else? Books. Good for you. Um, anything else? I, I like uh, ocean. I like, I like ice cream. All right, so let's, uh, I, I like my wife too. Um, 
Let's, so let's, uh, let's go from algebra to English. How many people like English? Who likes diagramming? Do they still teach that? <laughs> All right, so let's say I love ice cream. What is I? The subject, love, verb, and ice cream. A noun, or it is the object, right? So love requires something, correct? You can't just love ambiguously, correct? So love requires something to bestow that love upon. And so I believe that's why everything exists. Because if God is love, how can he have, be love but not have something to show that love to, correct? I think that's why the angels exist, why heaven exists, why everything in the universe exists. Because imagine being a God of love but not being able to share that love with anything. That would not be heaven, I don't think. So, we've established this, that God is love. So if God is love, and God shows love, because that's who he is, and we're to be uh, Christ-like and to represent God on earth, what does that mean about you and me? What should we be? Correct. Turn to 1 John 4, 11. And I'll give you, I'll, I'll let you turn there this time. 1 John 4, 11. <coughs> It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has perfected, been perfected in us. So there it says right there what we've just been saying. If we love one another, then God abides in us. If we have God in our hearts, we have love. If we don't have God, why do we not have? So, God equals love. Therefore, we should equal love, correct? 1 John 3.11 For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. What, what are the fruits of the Spirit? The fruits of the Spirit are love and joy, all the other ones, but love. So love is, important, is a big deal to God, right? It's why uh, the special music was perfect. So thank you for that. And the children's story, thank you. Um, so the fruit of the Spirit is love. If everyone loved, here, loved each other here on earth, what would it be like? It'd be like heaven, because that's what heaven is. Heaven is us, this, because of God loves us, and we love him so much, and we love each other so much that we are willing to do anything for them. It is so unselfish. That's why, that's why heaven is heaven, because we love God so much, and we're willing to worship him. We're willing to help each other. Everything is about each other. It's not about us because it's love. And such love can only come from loving God and surrendering to him. I think, at least for me, a big part of the reason we sin is because we truly don't love God. If we loved him, we wouldn't sin. Instead, we love something else, usually ourselves, more than we love God. And I'm speaking to myself more than anyone here. What, what's the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up? Pray. Does everyone else here pray first thing in the morning? When your eyes open, what's the first thing you think of? What's the first thing you do? Turn off your alarm. That's, yeah. I usually push the snooze button a few times. For me, a lot of times, I'll roll over after I've snoozed, pick up my phone, and open Facebook. Anyone else? Or is that just me? Yeah. I'll get on Facebook for a little bit. I'll scroll around a little bit. And it's like, okay, I'll get up and do worship. I'll walk over to the office. I'll sit down. Still on Facebook, but at that point, I've gone through Facebook, so it's time to go to Instagram really quick and get rid of those notifications. And then Snapchat has something over here, and then I need to check my email really quick, and then by that time, it's time to go to work. Has anyone else done that? Or is it just me? Yeah. So, but that hurts God more than we realize because 
he's wanting to be there for us because he is love and he wants to show that love for us, but we can only understand and receive that love if we spend time with him. It's like if I never talk to my wife or if I never spend time with her, would there be love? I mean, I could say I love her, but how will I ever know if she really loves me if I'm never talking to her or spending time with her? There has to be a connection there, a relationship. After all that God's done for us, he came here, he gave up everything, he died, he was crucified. How can we reject that love? So if God is love, and it's such an amazing love, what is, what is one of the amazing aspects of worshiping the God that we worship compared to other gods? This amazing love that is God compels him, forces isn't the right word, but it, he can't do otherwise than to give us the freedom of choice, correct? Because he is love. If, he, if we didn't have that freedom of choice, we would just be uh, drones or however he wanted us to be. He would just make us and that's how we are. But since God is love, he gives us the freedom of choice. And so we can choose not to have a relationship with him. We can choose to do our own thing. We can choose to worship what we want. We can worship ourselves, put ourselves in front of God. But that's because God is love. So that's an important point we're going to come back to. Because God is love, we have that freedom of a choice. And if we keep saying no to God, if we keep waking up each morning, grabbing our phone, looking at the news, listening to the radio, putting ourselves and what we want before God, eventually that relationship is going to break. And one day that'll be permanent. So we're going to remember this and come back to this. God is love. Now, let's go back to our story. Don't worry, we're not, we're not the end, so don't, don't worry. But we're going to go back to the story. The Deatosha. 365 years, that ship has laid at the bottom of the sea. No one could find it. Well, there was this man. He was a chicken farmer. His name was Mel Fisher. Anyone heard of him? A couple, hey? A couple of people actually heard of him. All right, so this guy was a chicken farmer, and he had heard about this shipwreck, and he became obsessed with it and fascinated. So he sold everything he had, and he dedicated his whole life to trying to find the treasure. So he looked, he had maps, he had clues, he had ideas, and he scoured the ocean for the treasure. For 16 years, he spent doing this. And he looked, he looked, he put time and money, he got his whole family involved, and they were looking for it. And then finally, in 1985, a call came over the radio, put away the charts, we found her. And they were uh, interviewing some of the people afterwards that were on the team that, that when they found it. And they said, what was it like? What did you see? And they said they likened it unto a coral reef made up of gold and silver as far as you could see in any direction. Just everywhere, the whole ocean bed was just covered in jewels. And this is a picture of some of the stuff that was uh, found on the ocean bed. Since that day, currently, they estimate only about half of it has been found and brought up. But the half that they have found has been uh, valued to be about half a billion dollars while it's been found. The uh, captain's quarters and the um, back of the ship where most, of the, uh, most important treasure would have been stored, uh, probably the emeralds, still hasn't been found. So if you've got student loans to pay off, there's, <laughs> there's, there's hope. So they're still down there. But what's been found? Half a billion dollars. Now. What gives something like that its value or its worth? Why is that important, or why is that valuable? Because people think it is, but why, 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 is, why is it valuable? I think someone said, because it's rare, it's irreplaceable. 
Well, I mean, it's, it's just gold, but why is gold valuable in the world? Because it's rare, that's right. All these things, this is never going to exist again in the way it exists. There's never going to be this again. So that treasure is valuable. It has value to it because it's rare, it can't be replaced. So now, let's think about this. I'm going to say something that God cannot do. Now, before you throw me out of the church, just listen, hear me out. That God himself cannot do, and then we'll explain it. God cannot make another you. And here's why. And you may say, well, yeah, he can. He can do whatever he wants. But you are you because of every decision you've made throughout your whole life. From the moment you were born, every year, every month, every week, every day, every second of your life, every decision you've made through all that time has made you who you are. And so, if God were to make another you, he'd be taking that power of freedom of choice away. And what we were saying earlier, God is love. So if he takes that away and just poof, here you are, God is no longer love. The God that we worship and that we believe in, he might be a God, but he wouldn't be the God that we worship anymore because God is love. So that means that you are the only you that will ever exist. And not even God can replace you. Because if he were, he would make all those decisions for you. And love and God would break. And there would go that freedom of choice. So that means there's only one me forever. That means there's only one Dan forever. There's only one Christy forever. There's only one of you in all of eternity. From the beginning of all time to the end of all time, there's only you and only one of you. So that means that you are the only you that God has a shot at. Everyone agree with that? So if that's true about you, what does that mean about your neighbor or your coworker or the person that cut you off in traffic and you cursed at? Oh, you don't curse, I'm sorry. Your uh, friends, what does that mean about them? If you are the only you that God ever has a shot at, what does that mean about everyone else? Recently, uh, my wife and I went on a vacation in Europe, traveling around, and uh, we got to Paris and went to the Louvre, and we, um, you can spend a lot of time there. Has anyone been to the Louvre? It's a lot bigger than I thought it was. You can get lost in there. So we only spent about five hours in there, could have seen a lot more, but we saw the highlights, and uh, we saw the, um, we saw the Mona Lisa. I don't get what the big deal of the Mona Lisa is. It's really not that impressive. It's very... So in the room where the Mona Lisa is, you have the Mona Lisa over here. And on the other side is this massive thing. It's probably the size of this whole back wall. I think I have a picture of it. Yeah. So here's my wife next to it. The picture doesn't do it justice. It's huge. It's like a billboard. And that's a painting. But on the other side, everyone's gawking at the Mona Lisa, which is really not that impressive. So. (laughs) So there it is. When we can't get close to it because everyone was trying to get a picture of it. So there's the Mona Lisa. We got to see it. Big deal. So, um, now I have a question. Which of these is worth more? Why do you need to know?
left is that you can buy $130, frame and all. It's actually a pretty good deal. Free shipping, $130. The real Mona Lisa, as of last year, is valued to be at about $810 million. So, $810. Why does that have the value it has? Because it's the original. Because the artist, he spent time on his creation. Every stroke, every thought, every detail he put into that was what he wanted it to be, exactly the way he wanted it. And that's the same with you and me. When God makes us, he makes us exactly the way he wants us to be made and gives us that freedom of choice. If the Louvre was to lose the Mona Lisa, it got, if it got stolen, which I think it actually has at one point in time, why, did, why can't they just go to Wayfair and buy that one and replace it really quick? <laughs> or just, you know, spit it out of a printer? Because it doesn't have the value it, as the original. And that's the same with you and me. God can't just spit out another one of us because it wouldn't be the original. It would just be a cheap knockoff. So we are the only shot that God ever has at reaching us. So how does, how does he reach us? How, how, is that, how does his treasure hunt go for us if we're lost treasure to him? Does he find us with X marks the spot, with metal detectors? How does God win us? With heart, with the heart, with love. Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. He doesn't draw us with force. He doesn't poof, here's the way he wants us to be. That'd be the cheap knockoff version. He draws us with love. And that's how we should treat one another, is with love, the same love that God has for us. I read this quote once, and uh, some of you may have heard it before. Um, I think it's interesting. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, well, it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate someone not to proselyze? How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming out at you and was bearing down on you, there's a point where I'm going to tackle you. And this is more important than that. Has anyone read that before? Anyone know who said that? Uh, Pin Gillette, better known as the talking half of the mag magician duo Pin and Teller. This is what he said. And he's a very strong and outspoken atheist, and he hates God and Christians and everything. But he thinks that Christians are hypocritical because they believe in one thing, but do another. They believe that God is love, and they say he's love, but then they don't show that or share it with one another. How much do you have to hate someone to not tell them that there's eternal life, if it's real? Do you believe it's real? Do you tell others about it? I, I mean, like I said, this is just as much to me as anyone else. It's easy to go in the break room at work, and sometimes God even makes it easy. I'll walk into the break room, and they're already talking about something spiritual, some spiritual topic. And I just sit down and smile and nod and maybe agree with them, but I, may, I don't say anything to rock the boat or, you know, Make, take it deeper. Or, you know, they may ask me what church I go to, and I say, oh, I go to South Bay, and leave out the 70, other 75% of the name. You know? What about you? How does that work for you? We can only share something, though, that we know ourselves, right? If God is love, and he wants us to share that love, how can we share it if we don't know about it or have it in our hearts? Uh, Mickey, he likes cars, right? If you don't know that, Mickey likes cars. Maybe a little too much, but he likes cars a lot. 
You can show him a picture of a car, ask him about any car, and he can tell you the year, the make, the model, the trim, if it was a good car, bad car, the next year, the uh, year after that, whatever. Because he knows cars, so he can talk to you about cars for a long time. He can talk with you about God also, but he can talk to you about cars. Someone here may like sports, and they run into someone that has a Stephen Curry jersey on, and they can talk about his playing time, his three points, his field goals, his rebounds, all that stuff. Why can they talk about that? Why can they just spit all that information out? Because it's what they're into, it's what they know. If, God, if someone comes to us and they're hurting or they want to know more about God, what can we tell them? That God is love, John 3:16, and that's it? Or can we tell them more? Can we just, you know, take them deeper? So that only can happen if we have a true relationship with God and show him that love. But that love isn't cheap. It cost God everything. He came here, he gave up everything in heaven, and he died for you and me. Just like the, uh, even the treasure hunt for the Deatosha. He spent 16 years of his time, his money, everything he had. He even lost one of his own sons about just a few weeks before finding the, uh, treasure, hunt, or the treasure in their own shipwreck. And he lost his own son. Is, too much anything, is, is anything too much to uh, reach someone? What would you say? If you were paying attention earlier, what, are we, uh, what is the South Bay doing in a week or two? Evangelism series. All right, we have a few more people that know the answer now. So we have an evangelism series coming up. And we're printing flyers, we're renting a building, we're getting chairs, we're going out, spending hours, passing out flyers, we're telling people about it. There's a lot of time and effort and money going into this, right? And I'm sure the church has been good with their decisions, what's been bought and done and everything, but it's still costing a good amount. So let's say one person shows up on that first Friday morning, or Friday evening. Uh, uh, let's say two, I'll give you two. And they get to the Sabbath, then it goes down to one. So let's say we have one person that goes through the whole series, and then that one person makes a decision and gets baptized. But it's all that time and money and everything worth it if just one person came. It is, because that person is irreplaceable to God. Some of heaven's lost treasure has been found. And he thinks the same thing about you and me and everyone around us. And the Bible speaks about it. If you go to our uh, scripture reading, Luke 15, 4 through 6. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Couldn't he have just gone out and bought another sheep? Why was that sheep so special? Because it, to him it was value, whether it was money or something, that sheep had value to him. And it was, he wasn't just going to go out and forget that one and get another one. If you skip a few verses down, Luke 15, 8. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors t- together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over how many? Just even one. Heaven parties. They have a celebration over one person because that is lost treasure that has been found. Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he has found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. All that he had. Just for one. Because that's how important it is. Jesus talked about treasure, right? About the treasure in heaven. What is, we always talk about lay up treasure in heaven. What is the treasure that we're laying up in heaven? 
while we were on, in Europe, we were reading through the Thoughts of the Mounts of Blessings, an excellent book. We were in chapter four, and there's a section about the treasure of heaven. And I wanted to read the whole section, but my wife said I couldn't do that. So I've condensed it down as much as possible to the part that I really think is important. So hold on, here we go. The disciples of Christ are called his jewels, his precious and peculiar treasure. He says, they shall be as the stones of a crown. I will make a man more precious than fine gold. This is the treasure for which Christ bids us labor. Character is the great harvest of life, and every word or deed that through the grace of Christ shall kindle in one's soul an impulse that reaches heavenward. Every effort that tends to the formation of a Christ-like character is laying up treasure in heaven. And at that final day, when the wealth of heaven shall perish, he who has laid up treasure in heaven will behold that which his life has gained. If we have given heed to the words of Christ, then as we gather around the great white throne, we shall see souls who have been saved through our agency and shall know that one has saved others and these to others. A large company brought into the haven of rest as the result of our labors, there to lay their crowns at Jesus' feet and praise him through the ceaseless ages of eternity. With what joy will the worker for Christ behold these redeemed ones who share the glory of the Redeemer? How precious heaven will, be, will heaven be to those who have been faithful in seeking in this work of saving souls. So that is what the treasure of heaven is. Is you and me. It's lost treasure though. Most of it is still lost treasure. So God wants to win us. He wants to reach us. He wants us not to be lost treasure anymore. And once he finds us, he wants us to join him on a treasure hunt with him. He wants us to go find more lost treasure. Because remember, you and I are the only ones that will ever exist in all of eternity. So don't become lost treasure. <laughs>